3: Hello friends and welcome to the SI Media Podcast. I am your host Jimmy Trainer. Thanks so much for joining me. Very quick intro. We want to get right into the interview we have for you. It is Jim Nance of CBS Sports. Jim has had quite a 2019 as you know if you're a sports fan. Masters with Tiger Woods, crazy final four in Virginia's win. Super Bowl dud, but him and uh, Tony Romo were stealing the show that night. He had the AFC title game with the Patriots and Chiefs. We talk about all of that and more with Jim Nance. I don't want to waste any time. It was a lengthy interview, but Jim was phenomenal and really shared some insightful stories and nuggets. I think you guys will enjoy it thoroughly, so let's not waste any more time. We go right now to CBS Sports' Jim Nance on the SI Media Podcast. All right, joining me now... Not sure anyone has had a better few weeks in sports, athletes included, than Jim Nance from CBS, who called the Final Four, which was tremendous, and then obviously Tiger Woods. Jim, thanks for coming on. How are you?
4: I'm great, Jimmy, and thank you for actually bringing the NCAA Tournament and Final Four into discussion because for the last uh, couple of weeks, it's been all about Tiger, which we're going to get into and which was glorious and incredible to be a part of. Uh, as a, someone documenting it, but the Virginia National Championship, and for that matter, the entire NCAA tournament, got completely big-footed right by by what happened at Augusta, and it's like it didn't even happen. And there's a part of me that wants to kind of hang on to that because it was one of my favorite tournaments that I've ever broadcast. Right. And the championship game was rich with great stories, and six days later, boom, it just vaporized.
3: And I'm also going to bring something else into this, which obviously was not as pleasant as the Final Four in Tiger, which was the Super Bowl. It's fa- I, I, I chuckled at the fact that you had this dud of a Super Bowl, and then you ended up with an all-time Final Four, and then what— is probably the greatest golf tournament of all time. So it was a it was a redemption for um you, you said it was the return to glory for Tiger. I think Jim Nance got a little redemption after the Super Bowl that put the nation to sleep for about three quarters.
4: You know, Jimmy I still can't believe the game broke that way. It's it's impossible for me to get my mind around that was a three three game going into the fourth quarter. Yeah. Have anyone ever see that in, in any regular season game, much less two high-powered offenses. But, you know, its it was what it was. It was a Belichick masterpiece. And uh, in, 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 in the full scope of things, to have Brady and the Patriots, and I believe my line at the end might have been something about the dynasty continues, you know, it's still a pretty good nine-week stretch the game wasn't I love right. the broadcast. We right. can't control the game. I loved being with Tony. We had some fun. We did the best we could with it. Uh, as I often try to tell our team now as an older guy um, who's done these things a few times, you know, there are going to be three teams tomorrow that are going to be out to try to win. There's going to be the two teams that are competing on the field, and there's going to be our broadcast team. Right. Now, those other two teams can dictate and control uh, whether or not they win. We can only control what we are going to do. So we might win. The game may not be great, but they're not related. Sometimes you get lucky, and the broadcast is, is on all cylinders, and the game, the event is epic. It all comes together, and it's a beautiful, beautiful memory. But for me to have nine weeks, and during that nine weeks, to have Brady and Belichick and the Patriots win another one, Virginia, talk about redemption, Virginia to come back from the most humbling, you know, let's call it the most embarrassing loss in the history of the NCAA tournament, so only to win the championship and have to climb that mountain so many times when they faced adversities. Every time, the next thing you know, you got to have a miracle High to send it to overtime against against uh, Purdue. Then you gotta get fouled in the closing second against Auburn. Then you gotta hit a three to send it to overtime to beat Texas. I mean, it was, it was one of the most enjoyable stories to tell that I've ever had. And then, of course, you had Tiger on the back end. I mean, it was uh, honestly it was yeah, as bad as the Super Bowl was in terms of highlights. It was a personal highlight because I enjoyed our broadcast immensely. Yeah, and you know it was more history being made there.
3: And and here's what's interesting too, and we'll we'll get to all the Tiger and the Masters stuff, but I'm gonna I'll stick with this since I brought up the Super Bowl. I just thought of it while you were speaking, and then you were speaking, you didn't even mention it because we're focused on the Super Bowl was the dud, and then you got into obviously the Final Four and the Masters, but you also had an all-time game and broadcast with the AFC title game. With the with the Patriots and chiefs that was an all the game was phenomenal and then Tony with the predictions became as big a story as the game and that's only obviously two weeks before the Super Bowl so if you stretch out your 11 weeks, it's really something else.
4: Bless you for bringing it up. I gotta tell you it gets lost for whatever reason It's a little similar to when Peyton won his first Super Bowl. And the Colts beat the Patriots. You'll remember the game in the AFC Championship game, mm-hmm. down twenty-one to three at one time. Uh, ended up coming back, storming back, and winning. And then the Super Bowl was a victory over the Rex Grossman-led Chicago Bears, <laughs> and it wasn't memorable. Right. The big game was the AFC Championship game. But so often, I get asked about, hey, you just did the Super Bowl and the NCAA tournament final four and the Masters. And the AFC Championship does get lost. Well, that was not a broadcast nor a game that should be neglected or forgotten about. Yes. It was one of the greatest games I've ever been around. And Tony, as you said, called every play snap down the stretch in the fourth quarter and in overtime, and it was – and here's the other thing about it. You know, that rating, and I hate to – bring it back to ratings because I'm not paid to to really discuss or crunch numbers, but that the rating on the AFC championship game will be at the end of the year, the second most watched show on television, right? Second most, you know, you know, the third close, the third most will be the NFC championship game, but our game with Kansas city and new England will only be topped in the entire year, 2019 by the super bowl. But when people talk about Hmm. the stretch, they forget about that game, that little game that was, that drew almost a 30 rating. They don't, they don't, it doesn't, it doesn't count or something. I don't know. I see. I remember
3: it because to me, that was the game of the year. And obviously, like I said, then the broadcast became as wild as the game because Tony was calling it all. And of course you had the Patriots, you have the chiefs with Mahomes. They were the sort of the darlings all year. So I I don't forget that game at all. To me, that was the game of the year in the NFL by far. Obviously, like you said, the ratings bear it out. Uh, I don't forget that at all. And, um, It is crazy, too, after, you you know, maybe it was just meant to be that way because you had that game, and you mentioned the NFC title game, which had the the non-pass interference. Maybe it was just set up where the Super Bowl was never going to live up to it anyway. It didn't have to be that much of a dud, but um, then you and Tony obviously became the story during the Super Bowl because you couldn't help but talk about how awful that game was for for, uh, three quarters.
4: It was our first of hopefully many to come and as you know since the super bowl it's been announced that we're back in the super bowl business in 2 years time we go off the rotation right that had us every third year there was a trade made uh, it didn't it didn't garner a lot of attention but uh NBC and CBS switched out years so you know we're back in the booth for the super bowl for the 2020 regular season into february of 21 right so we'll get another swing at the plate there and hopefully this time um you know, we'll have a compelling down to the wire game that uh, you know that produces a lot more excitement. I do. I, it's, it, I haven't thought about the Super Bowl in a while because I've just called fifteen basketball games <laughs> in twenty-three days and that little golf tournament right. down in Augusta. Yeah. But uh, I'm anxious now that there's space and time and distance since the game to go back and look at the broadcast because I haven't seen any of it. Yeah. Um, my hunches just. Uh, being a perfectionist and always knowing that the story is premium. The story is the key. That's what makes things great. That's why the Tiger thing was fantastic. But the story at the Super Bowl, uh, as much as people think they've heard all they need to hear about the greatness of Brady and Belichick, I think we could have done a little bit more. I'm talking about me. I'm not blaming anybody, but right here, pointing the finger to my chest right now, probably should have done a little better job about making that Belichick's masterpiece more than anybody else, because it truly was. And, you know, I can remember the last snap of the game was just a kneel down and it ended up the ball in the hands of Tom Brady and, and good for Tom and what he's done, you know, beyond description. But this was, this was a coach's game. And, and this was a coach when we were at the practice during the week, Uh, over at the Georgia Tech campus, I saw uh, uh, saw a Belichick that was so hands-on and actively involved in every single snap in practice with the defense. He he was, if it's possible, he was at a whole new level of interaction and involvement. And I didn't realize it as we were there on whatever day it was, Wednesday or Thursday leading into the game, but I certainly realized that after I got away from the game a little bit that Bill cracked the code. He figured it out, and that was his game. Well, and me, that, that, to me, was his masterpiece.
3: So let me ask you this, since you, you, you mentioned that, because I would think that that game, the Super Bowl, where so much of the audience, probably most of the audience, is the casual non-football fan, the, the football fan who's there – the the man or woman who's there every Sunday from one to midnight watching the games. The Super Bowl is not about them. It becomes about the casual fringe fans, the parties, the, this, the, that. So that's a bad game for a defensive coaching clinic because people want excitement and fireworks. And, and the thing about that game, it wasn't just, it wasn't that it was a bore. it, It wasn't that, um, you know, it was a defensive battle. It just, there was nothing happening. You couldn't get into storylines, or there were no big plays. There were no big. I'm talking about for about the first three quarters. So for you as a broadcast, I'm just curious, and we'll get into the master stuff. But mm-hmm. I, I like sticking with this NFL right now. Um, the philosophy when you are calling the Super Bowl, and you know, let's say 100 million people are watching it. You know, 50 million probably are not watching games every week. Do you change your approach? How much do you change your approach for that game, if at all? Because I don't
4: think that. we really change it that much. Maybe you go back a layer, a step, to to go through some stories that you feel have been told. You, you, you kind of walk the fine line on the outer edges of, of things that you know the diehard fan has heard repeatedly, and you just barely touch on it. But I don't think it's done all that differently. You know, what I remember about the game, and all this is coming back to mind, is as we're talking about it uh, there were no big plays there there how about this one how about for an entire game there was one snap in the red zone right right
3: one snap right it was, and it that was ended up
4: producing a 2-yard touchdown run by Sony Michelle right
3: it was now, pun 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 I'm still
4: waiting for someone to find out for me the last NFL game that had one or fewer Red zone snaps for an entire game. Yeah. Now you touched on it. It's not like the game wasn't close. This was three three going to the fourth. Right. So you still had a championship on the line. But one of my proudest moments was I commit a lot to memory, and thankfully I've been blessed with a good memory. And there's an there's a cruel twist to that, and irony in that, and that my dad lost his memory to Alzheimer's and Mm. that's become a part of my life that one day maybe we can talk about the research center my wife and I have built down in Houston it's all about trying to maintain a memory and trying to end that insidious disease but my Mm. memory I can I can see something with my eyes and it's it's locked and loaded it's in my head somewhere during the week I saw you know stats like the longest punt return in Super Bowl history, the longest punt in Super Bowl history. All this minutiae, you <laughs> never know. You're not going to jam or force it in there. Right. And then all of a sudden, Johnny Hecker hits a punt that that takes takes a bounce. It, he, he didn't catch the punt cleanly, but the first kick looked like it hit on the turnpike and caromed down the field. And my instant reaction was, because I knew it only carried like 35 yards in the air, right. oh, this this has a chance to be the longest punt in the Super Bowl history. <laughs> that might have been the most exciting yeah. I got the whole game. Yeah. And once the ball was down, Ethan Cooperson, my statsman extraordinaire on the NFL, knew he had heard me, and as soon as the ball stopped, he flashed up 65 to give me the official stat total on it. Right. It was 65, and I said, and it is. By a yard. (laughs) So I got lucky enough that I saw 20 yards down the field on the first hop that this thing was going to be approaching – uh, record territory. And can you believe that's about as excited as we can get about a Super Bowl play all this time later? Is a punt.
3: I, the punt was great. And the other thing I rem- that it will always stand out to me about that game in the broadcast was when you talked about, uh, I think it was Guskowski never missing an extra point this season or something like that. And Romo said, You
4: cannot miss. Uh, <laughs> well, that's the, that's kind of honestly the old announcer's jinx. But it was great because we've heard that a hundred thousand times. But what was great
3: was Tony said, Did you just jinx him? And then boom, the bull (laughs) went 20 feet.
4: I mean, I hear it. I hear it whether it's on a free throw or a golf tournament or whatever. Um, It was a nice moment between the two of us, though. I did love that. But that's not something that you know, is, 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 is we haven't heard
3: before. Yeah. No, but what made it great was Tony saying it as it was, you know, the man who's known for the predictions is then predicting you. Yes. the Well, there he was, was again. Yeah. He, as soon as he said that,
4: <laughs> I knew he wasn't going to make it. Right. I mean, I just knew whatever right. these uh, these, these superpowers that, that Tony possesses, Whatever they were, I, I felt sorry for Guskowski because I knew he wasn't going to make it. And, and It and, was over.
3: And we, I promise we will get to the Masters and Tiger, don't worry, um, for people listening. But to, I saw you at uh, CBS at the media event for the NCAA tournament. I saw you there. We talked for a couple of minutes. I would love it if you would tell the listeners what you told me about your history calling Super Bowls and, and the lack of big touchdowns. Uh, you oh. ra- you rattled off, I think, what you've <laughs> Shit, gotten to call right, over Jimmy. your career, and yeah. I thought that was a very mm. interesting story,
4: or yeah. interesting nugget. Yeah, this one's um, this one might we might have to bring this one back to life in a couple of years, heading into Tampa, so we can create some sort of hex or curse <laughs> and, and change the mojo here. Because my last two Super Bowls, which would be Denver, uh, Denver, Carolina Super Bowl Fifty, and then of course New England and the Rams. I've had four touchdown calls that have covered a total of five yards. (laughs) Great stat. Four touchdown calls, five yards. So they would be Malik Jackson, fumble recovery off a strip sack by Vaughn Miller. Jackson falls on the football in the end zone, zero yards. Uh, C.J. Anderson, the clinching two-yard touchdown run. And there was a, uh, 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 a Stewart one-yard touchdown dive up and over the top for the Panthers one touchdown. And then, of course, in this most recent Super Bowl, we had the two-yard Sonny Michelle touchdown run. So four touchdowns covering five yards over two Super Bowls. Now you tell me how that's statistically possible, and
3: you can't you can't get that signature call that you know people remember when that. I mean, you're I don't think you're a big call guy like that. But listen, if you know you get a seventy yard pass, you get a pick six. The play by play person can always add some spice and put their spin on it, and you have not had the chance to do that in the biggest game of them all, back to back times crazy well
4: i i just haven't had the exciting plays. let's just put it that way but there'll be more opportunities you talked about the big call i will tell you that it's an interesting part of our industry about the attention that's given to moments like that first off they really truly you can't you can't foreshadow when a play is going to be the play of a game you can't Predict, well tony can't <laughs> but as a play-by-play guy <laughs> yeah. you don't know that the next play is going to go for a 70-yard touchdown so you're it's a reactionary business yeah and yeah. i think sometimes that there's way too much attention put on that one moment what about the other three hours of the broadcast yeah because i said to someone during the fall i worship to this day the late great pat Summerall, and i got to be his understudy for years uh, worked with Pat for ten years out on the golf tour. Had you know hundreds of meals with Pat, even after retirement. A dear friend, passed away in April of 2013. And and you think about his career, you know, he, he's one of the icons of the NFL all time. Can you name me a touchdown call?
3: It's it was usually just Montana Rice touchdown, right. Well, and he got
4: that cadence, if you will, right. from early in his career, sitting alongside a gentleman named Ray Scott. Mm-hmm. There's a history of play by play at CBS that begins with Ray Scott and his influence on Pat Summerall. And I would like to think, because I sure channel him all the time, that Pat's had uh, a, a real influence on my career, and you know the way I approach, a broadcast we're not identical but I do feel um I I I just see Pat in my head and I I just looked up to him so much and still do as I said but you know it was Ray Scott who came up with that cadence you just described with Montana to Rice but he was back then he was star Dower touchdown Green Bay right and then Pat became Montana Rice touchdown 49ers and Again, there was there weren't histrionics. It wasn't about Pat. It wasn't about Ray Scott. They were doing their job and they were reacting to what they saw, and it got out of the way. Yeah.
3: Well, now you have the whole, and I don't think this is a bad thing. I mean, I, I personally I like it, and given what I do for a living, it helps me a lot. But the the thirty second call of an of a play by play person going wild is a perfect perfect thing for social media and the internet you know youtube whatever it is but you scroll through and you know you hear kevin harlan or August johnson scream for 30 seconds people get a kick out of it and i think i think i think the social media era no i know you're not knocking i'm saying i think it it, it's it that the love of those calls i think has um is is a product of social media as well it's definitely
4: changed it's more appreciated or more scrutinized whatever um but you know in my case i try to pick my spots and and in golf even if it's tigers putt at 18 for the comeback win that no one saw you know a couple of years ago ever come into fruition uh that's not going to be 30 seconds of screaming that's right. just not the right, right. for that sport It's not and your energy levels are going to be raised but they're not going to be like you're calling a basketball game or a football game, you know, like you have to have. In, in my case, take Chris Jenkins hits the shot for Villanova. Uh, when, when that happened and unfolded right in front of us in 2016, you know, you walk off the broadcast, put the headset down, and like you don't even know what you just saw. You were completely lost in the moment. Right. And I think all the broadcasters of today can relate to that. I mean, gentlemen that you mentioned who were friends of mine. Um, that's when it really gets good and you feel great about it is when you are immersed in that moment and it's organic and authentic.
3: Yeah. And like I said, I do think, um, yeah, we live in this video age, so it just, it spreads and, and people consume it just because you always want to hear the spin that the, the, the play by play person puts on it. I'm just curious. I'm
4: just saying it's a play by -by play guy, Jimmy. Like. Somebody asked me after the Masters, the return to glory, and we can get yeah, into this. We will again yes. if you want to. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I did like a 20 minute interview about uh, you know, those uh, those four words, and it made me feel as though I could have come home to California after the Virginia game, watched the Masters for a couple of days on TV, gotten on a plane to Augusta, landed in time. Climb up to the 18th tower and then deliver a line and then go back home again. What about what about yeah. the writing of the opening that you labor over and work in concert with a great producer uh, by the name of Seller Shy and try to capture a thing called imagination? That is hours and hours of game planning and thinking it through and right.
0: texture
4: and and he's exceptional at putting these pieces together and I love. Able to write to them and narrate to them. Um, what? What about all the opening scene sets in and out of commercial setups? Storytelling, the detail of the storytelling, the amount of information that someone may have in their head, their knowledge of the subjects that they're covering. Does that not mean anything? Is it really boiled down to ah? Twitter didn't like the didn't like the caption at the end. Not a good broadcast. To me, it's way overweighted, way
3: overweighted. I will say this. I I will never judge a broadcast by one call. I mean, you're judging the whole thing, and everything you said is obviously a part of that. So I do think if you're going to evaluate a broadcast, you evaluate everything from start to finish. It shouldn't come down to one call. Um, But like I said that we live in this era where people scroll through twitter they get a 30 second clip they're happy and you know the the I, but i you know what i do i think that people there are people who are you know i think you have to be a little bit of a hardcore sports media person to appreciate the great opening and but but again it's i think sports fans it's get into that it's a feel
4: thing jimmy yeah. it's 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 also just like does it sound like there is a a a, a command or a presence or a knowledge or an understanding of what the moment means throughout any one of those days of an event or during a three-hour football game. Do they feel it? Are they in the moment? Are they on top of it? Are they researched? There's a lot of parts to it. That's yeah, all I'm saying is sure. you work all week long, and uh, believe me, I'm the luckiest guy in the world. I love the process of preparing and memorizing and building up charts for my football and basketball games that I don't do for golf. Um, it just seems to cheapen, though, what the job really entails. You know, and I, I'm going to sound like a dinosaur here. You live in the Twitter world. Yep. I don't even enter it. Right. So, like, I, I could walk down this street, and you live in a world where you think everybody's doing what you do. And i got to tell you, they don't. Right. Not everyone. Now, I know your audience right now is going to be probably pretty much in line with how you view it and what you do as far as social media and all that. And... And maybe one of these days I'm going to latch on to it, but I'm just telling you, it's not everybody. I would say it feels like it's everybody to you. Yeah, but trust me, it's not 50 percent of my audience. It's not 20 percent of my audience. It's not. So you're you're overweighting again your community that you think sees the world 100 percent that way, and it's just not. And I've got to learn. I've got to learn to be more somehow into that plugged into that i'm not in it at all right now and respectful of the fact that that's what that audience wants because i'm over here on the dark side or the uh never explored side and i I just don't think it's i just don't think the numbers are there that you think are there Uh, that make sense
3: it makes total sense and i would say to you stay on the side you're on you're in a much better place i'm in it because of what I do for a living, I've said this, A you probably don't know this because you're not on Twitter, but I've said this a billion times on Twitter, I've said it on this podcast, I've said it in my column, if you are a play-by-play person, it, no matter who you are, whether you're the top guys, a la Jim Nance, Al Michaels, Joe Buck, whether you are the, you know, calling the, you know, jaguars titans game it doesn't matter what you should if you are a play-by-play person you should not be on twitter because it's just never ever ever the only person who can probably be on twitter as a play-by-play person is vince scully i've never seen a bad word said about him but anyone else should stay off of it because it's it will serve no purpose for you at all zero it will do no good
4: here's how i look at it and i swear to you i have not seen one Tweet now. Sometimes, like I'll go to Sports dot com or I'll go to sni.com dot com, and you guys have links to certain stories. And next thing you know, it's thrown you on Twitter. Right, 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 now, right. I, okay, I've never. So help me God, I have never deviated uh, uh, through this entire stretch. I have not looked at one tweet. Don't care to. I don't care what anybody else thinks. You know, I know when I walk off the air, whether it was our best show, almost there, not quite there. Should have been better. this is where and there's some nuance there that that you know believe me when you're done for thirty four years, there's a lot more to it than people that aren't in the industry don't realize. and you know you're always trying to perfect it. Um, but I, I, I just I just don't uh, I, I just haven't I haven't gone down that road yet and I, I, I'm, I'm I'm not like compulsively concerned like some people i I trust are what other people? Right are saying positive or negative about them I, I, like have some have some stones man like feel mm-hmm. good about yourself you researched it you worked you like you did your best job now you know go home and be with your family
2: as the number one audio company iheartmedia gives you access to all every audience live conversations trusted influencers and the insights and data you need to grow iheartmedia is your access company go to iheartresults.com for more
4: check the back seat.
2: check the back seat all right, come here
3: I'm going to put you on the spot. I probably shouldn't put you on the spot like this. but That's okay. We're, it's a good topic, and I can't. And it's been in my head now for the past five minutes that you've been speaking about this, so I'm going to throw it out okay. there, and, <laughs> you can, and you can tell me you I've don't. I've more about Twitter with you now no, than I have in it, my entire life. I, 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 but okay. I think you're a big part of this, because I'm going to throw it out there. I'm going to put you on the spot, and if you don't want to discuss it, we can move right along. But I will say this. I do think Twitter played a, I don't want to say big part, but I would say I think it played a significant part in getting Phil Sims off the number one games with you. I, 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 I don't know that. I, it's not something I can prove, but I believe it. I I have no idea what
4: the intensity, the volume, the feedback was because I already told you, I don't, I, I, I don't, nor have I paid attention to it. So I'm not qualified to speak to that. And I don't believe that by the way, Phil has had and continues to have a fabulous career. And it was an honor to work with him for 13 years, and he's still a very dear friend. Right. And he helped me a lot. When I transitioned out of the studio back to the NFL, um, Phil and I never had a crossword. We loved traveling the road together, did a bunch of Super Bowls together. And I will say this, it's one of the things that, 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 that's never really been said, but you know, he's had, and he's such a tough guy, He's had health issues in terms of like bad back and shoulder and the wear and tear. You got to remember, we were doing Thursday night football and Sunday football. And I know there was a side to Phil that was ready to not be traveling to the extent that he was. And I think it's worked out. I mean, I think Phil will be the first one to tell you. He's really helped the NFL today and he does a super job in there. And, you know, I'm proud to have the friendship with him. I want to give you one last little thing here. Okay. Cause yep. this is one thing I did say at the dinner table one time. So I want to say it publicly. Sure. Here's, here's my view of the world. Now, listen, now you young kids out there that are saying, God, this guy, Nance isn't on social media. No, I don't have Facebook. I don't have Instagram. My, my, my oldest daughter is like really big in this stuff. And she, she could probably do social media better than anybody, but I've never even seen a Facebook page. So I don't even know what that looks like. You're so lucky. Um, Okay, But I asked at a, one of our seminars, a straw poll of our producers and people and the whole thing, how much do you think you spend on Twitter or social media, I guess is what I said, yeah. in a day, on average? And the, and the answer consistently came back either two or three hours. So let's say that the average, the average person I'm working with is on social media two and a half hours a day times seven jimmy obviously you're talking about now 17 and a half hours that's a full waking day in the week okay i do zero so now i feel like i have a full day every week to go do something i want to do instead of concerning myself with what someone else thinks about a subject matter and by the way. I know there's other purposes of Twitter that are useful. I still don't go there for anything. I don't have an account. So, uh, you know, news sources and things like that. I'm still the old-fashioned guy. I'll Google search. I'll, you know, I'll go to the sports websites and I'll get my news and I'll go to the CNNs, etc., like that for my news. But I, I don't do it through social media. I've got an extra day every week, Jimmy, <laughs> to go do whatever I want to do.
3: It's a – it's. Um... I, I wish I only used it two to three hours a day after hearing that story you just told. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I appreciate you let me throw that out there because it's, no, yeah, it's, I didn't want to put you on the fine. spot. But, uh, look. you're not putting me
4: on the spot all right. at all. Yeah, um, yeah no, no.
3: I, it's because I know you're friends with Phil. And I, but I, it, and you don't know it because you're not on there. But I can tell you that, you know, he took some major heat that was pretty more intense than I've seen for any broadcast. But I don't want to belabor on that because he's not here. I'm talking to you, and you said I think uh, you gave a good rebuttal on that. I'm going to ask you one last one on the NFL, and then we'll get to Tiger. Sure. Because the schedule was released last week. So as the play-by-play guy who gets the top game every week for CBS, do you devour that thing as soon as it comes out? Do you? Do you does CBS give you a little heads-up on what games you're getting? And the second part to that is I think it's – I'm curious – um, with this new and this is really inside sports media but I, I'm fascinated by it, by it. it. I the, mean,
4: I'm, I'm really into this the, subject right here the, by the way. Um,
3: this whole now cross flexing thing where you get NFC games I, it's st- I mean I've, I've been watching football my whole life it, I see in week three obviously the assignments are not completely set up yet, but assuming week three New Orleans
4: and Seattle for us.
3: And week four you got the Bears and the Vikings. Two so back to back weeks, two NFC teams where you've been calling the AFC now listen, I think football's different than the other football's not it's so different than baseball. Baseball I think I think you can call two NFC teams no problem. Joe and Troy are calling AFC teams on Thursday night. It's not it's not a problem, but I'm curious what you think of that whole thing.
4: Obviously I love it. We've got Dallas at the Jets coming up, I believe it's week six uh, that is a cross flex game because you usually the the deal is you travel with the team from your conference.
5: Right. So if it
4: was the Jets at Dallas, that would be a CBS game out of the AFC package. But when it's Dallas to the Jets, that was out of the Fox package and it got cross flexed to us. I've got to tell you, Jimmy, I'm a I'm a real nerd when it comes to the football schedule release day. Yeah. Uh it's it's way bigger in my world than than the NFL draft day is. Right, and by the way, I think the NFL draft thing. There's a, there are a lot of phonies out there on that. Let's <laughs> oh. let's be honest. Oh yeah, I, I I wish everybody could get a report card a year later about the potential of this and that. Now there's some guys that are extraordinary, but I can't turn on the radio without hearing everybody's got some spin on a, a tight end, um, you know, from West Virginia, who who I hear is pretty good, by the way. But <laughs> anyway. Um, When it comes to the schedule release, that is one third of my year.
5: Right. It's
4: going to be 17 weeks. And I can't even hardly function that day. (laughs) Now that happened last week and it was on the heels of the master's tournament. And I needed something to kind of like snap me out of a time warp. Right. And thankfully the schedule release came around and, and, uh, you know, I, I if you ask me right now, I've got nothing in front of me. If you gave me a date, I could pretty much tell you where we're going to be. Okay. Now, of course, that's my opinion. I haven't been officially assigned anything. But it's pretty easy to crack the code. I get Jim Rickoff, our great producer, uh, Tony and, and Mike Arnold, our director, Tracy. They all talk about how I understand where a game, let's take on a regional week, what the odds are, where a game's going to be—that's going to be the biggest percentage of our audience. Because I understand how it gets networked in terms of staying within a division or staying away from a one o'clock um, NFC market game. So maybe a four o five comes into play, but I really completely uh, devour that schedule. I can't tell you week seventeen because that's that's always down to the wire and right. six day, a six day call on that, but. Right. I love our schedule, and I, I think the cross-flex thing, obviously for us at CBS has been a very good thing. It's strengthened uh, so, some of our double-header windows, and this isn't the first year, as you know. This right. has been going on now for several years. Yeah. Um, so, like, but my biggest question, our whole season right now might be week one.
3: I looked at week one, so, and I couldn't figure out, because okay. I, I know, obviously, the New York market, if you just have a 1 o'clock game, is big, but they're playing the Bills, the Jets, so I don't – I yes. Think they'd send you there. Then there's now the darlings that everyone is into are the Browns. They're playing. I think the Texans or the Titans. Tennessee.
4: They're playing Tennessee. Tennessee. Right. Tennessee's at Cleveland. Right. I don't. I don't think that will be. You got to realize there's going to be six games on CBS that day. It's a Fox doubleheader. Right. With with the Fox primary game at four twenty five being the Giants and the Cowboys. So uh, there's four at one o'clock and there's two dangling four o five games. So again, you try to figure out. Each market in the country, each CBS station is going to get one game. How do you divide that pie by six and figure out percentage-wise which one is going to be the main game? In my mind, it's going to boil down to two games. And, again, I think this is the hardest to call of the first, let's call it 16 weeks of the season for our A crew at CBS. And those two would be Kansas City at Jacksonville. Okay? Believe it or not. Yeah. Because you're going to have the Patrick Mahomes watch is enormous. He's a star, and everyone's going to ride him as much as they can. Yep. And in Jacksonville, you know you got Nick Foles, and you know they got a, a, a new approach down there. Now, where does that game go? You know, does does that carry enough uh, of a percentage to be our number one game? The other game that's interesting to me. And I always think Indianapolis gets underplayed in these deals. It even goes back to the days when Peyton was there. Uh-huh. Colts at Chargers, both were playoff teams. Okay, and you already know right off the bat because uh, um, you know the the, the Chargers in the AFC West network. The game's going to go into um, um, it's going to go into San Francisco and Oakland, market, It's going to go into Los Angeles. It's going to go into San Diego. See Denver and Oakland play on Monday night. Right. So you have already got about 20% of the audience built in on your West Coast network on Indiana Chargers. And it's a good matchup.
3: But the way you laid it out as a as a sports media sort of critic writer, I think they're gonna send you to Kansas City, Jacksonville, because of Mahomes and Foles. As a sports fan who's gonna sit and watch football for twenty hours on opening day, I'd like to, even though the Titans are rough, I'd like to see you do the Browns because I think there's so much buzz there now. They were good finally last year. Odell Beckham now. Um I, I think that's like this, but I think they're gonna send you to Jackson. Forget the Chargers. Here's my take on the Chargers as a sports fan. The games are depressing because the people there are rooting for the other team. They have no home field advantage. It's a weird. Their games are on TV. It's a it's a weird deal. The team. The, There's no home field Mm -hmm. advantage there. It's not a special game to me. For opening day, you want a little something special. I think Cleveland, the dog pound first year where they're expected to win, you know, 10, 11 games, go to the playoffs, the juice is there. But I think they'll send you to Kansas City, Jacksonville.
4: Well, here's the problem with that, okay? And again, this all gets figured out by a very capable programming department Mm -hmm. um, led by Dan Weinberg at CBS. But Kansas City at Jacksonville. In that same time slot now, Miami plays at home. So the game doesn't even go to the entire state of Florida. Right. You see, because Miami's playing in that window. So that, then Baltimore and Miami will go to South Florida, probably goes into Tampa and down the west coast of Florida. And on the Kansas City side of it, okay, do you put Kansas City in the middle of the country? Uh, you, you probably can. I, I, And uh, that's probably where you pick up your audience. It's just you're not – there's not a lot of big markets. There's not a lot of population there that you're going to be able to pick up to raise that game. Again, I'm just talking in terms of percentages. Right. Is it going to be able to garner 30%? And here's what always ends up being – this is esoteric stuff here, Jimmy, so forgive me, but I think (laughs) I I can tell you you get it and you're into it. What happens on a lot of these calls – is what do you send to a neutral market city? Yeah. Okay. So someone it gets away from, oh there's a divisional tie here. There's a natural reason why a game should go into Chicago. Let's just say, and it gets down to someone making a judgment right into those neutral markets. You mentioned week three on a cross flex. It's a very interesting thing that they did. And again, uh, I'm going off the top of my head here. That's that's our first doubleheader. Interestingly, Fox gets doubleheaders weeks one and two right? and weeks 15 and 16. Now, week 17, we both get a doubleheader. That's, right, right, that right. six-day call, they start out giving Sunday night football a game and then they make up doubleheaders for both of the Sunday afternoon packages. But Fox gets to start the season with two and gets to end the season with two doubleheaders. And in between now, we're going to have eight of whatever that would be, eight of the next 13 weekends, we're going to have double-headers because yeah. of the way it's parceled so out. So do you
3: like that or you so don't I'm, like that?
4: Uh, it doesn't matter to me, okay. honestly. It okay. really doesn't matter. I just thought it was interesting.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah,
5: for sure.
4: um, I've never seen it done that way before. Now, we've waited till week three to have a double-header before, but I don't recall once we get to December and what on paper is our best game is Kansas City at New England. I think it's December the 8th. Which is week fourteen, so December eighth we have a double header, and then we don't have a double header the next two weeks. Those are big weeks. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Those are big weeks too for television and ad revenue. You're selling holiday ads. People are selling their wares and buying network time. We don't have a double header of weeks uh, fifteen, 15 16. and sixteen. Yeah, I thought that was odd. Yeah, uh, I'm not complaining. Odd. I just right. thought it was quirky. Okay. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So now is... back to your week three. Yeah. There are three games in the in the doubleheader national window. Houston at the Chargers. Okay, you've already actually made a very good point about what that looks like. It doesn't look special to you in that small stadium uh, in in Anaheim. Um, our crew, by the way, did not do a Charger game last year at home. So we haven't even done a game there. <laughs> so there's Houston at the Chargers. Actually, it's
3: not a bad game. It's not a bad. It's you know, not De- terrible.
4: Deshaun Watson, Rivers, right. yeah, playoff that- teams, all this and that. Yeah. Then there's a Pittsburgh at San Francisco game in that window. Now, again, this is Week Three. Right. Jimmy Garoppolo was presumably healthy. Right. You got the Steeler Nation, which is one of the biggest draws in the entire NFL lineup. That's that's a massive massively important franchise for us to have in our afc package and to have a crossover game with a nfc team albeit the 49ers are coming off a bad year after the quarterback got hurt that's kind of an attractive
3: game yeah i will say this okay i'll say this quickly i do think that that the team that the networks, all of them, CBS, ESPN, F- Fox, and NBC, that might end up burning all these networks are the Steelers because everyone loves to load up on the Steelers. They've got primetime games. You just mentioned them. I don't know how anyone could predict what the Steelers are going to be without Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown. I, they no, could we end don't up, know. Yeah, they we can, don't know. They can and end they up come being, right out of the
4: box and play at New yeah. England, and that's right. going to be interesting to see what that looks like right, right out of the case. Right. But uh, the third game is the cross-flex game that brought up this discussion in the first place yeah. is New Orleans at Seattle. So the league threw us a bone there. Yep. I, I'm thinking that the league thought, okay, we're going to give them New Orleans-Seattle, and that will trump the other two games. That will be the primary national game. Yeah. But, you know, when you parcel it out and you sit down and you do your maps, like, again, this very capable group we have back in New York does so well, what would you rather put in New York? New Orleans at Seattle or Pittsburgh at San Francisco? Would I, you rather see Roethlisberger yeah. against Garoppolo?
3: I would. I think oh. I would go with. I think I'd go. With, I think Saints and uh, Seahawks have a little more juice because I. It's close. I think the other two I, I, teams I, I are still. You, I think
4: that's the game. Yeah, but it's close. This is not a. This is not an obvious.
3: Right. I agree. I and, agree.
4: You know, and the third game there happens to be pretty darn good. Yeah. If that was a Monday night game, that'd be a tremendous game to have on the on the lineup. Right. Houston right. and and the and the Chargers, but. I, it, it's just it's interesting as you can see. Uh, I love breaking it down, um, and you, you're you're on the Cleveland watch, and obviously the league is too. Yeah, they gave them two national doubleheader windows and four games at night, uh, which brings me to one other point that needs to be exercised here, and that is, you know, when the league releases these 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 schedules, and the headline is the Browns get four primetime exposures. They ought to be saying the Browns get two national doubleheader exposures since the national doubleheader game outdraws everybody. Yeah,
3: it. it you, you do know that, right? I listen. I had I had I had your uh, contemporary there at Fox, Joe Buck, on this podcast during last NFL season, and we did a whole a whole lengthy segment on how the Sunday 425 game you can quibble. It, it, it changes week to week, but the two best games of the week every week are Sunday night, NBC and whatever the 425 Sunday afternoon game is. Those are the two games every week.
4: Okay. Now are you talking, are you, is is this uh subjective or are we, are we going to talk about indisputable evidence? Well, I
3: mean, I'm talking about in terms of the, Best. I mean, the NBC schedule is set ahead of time, so they don't always get the best. And by game. the way,
4: they get a great schedule, right? And I'm happy. And but the numbers. Here, I've got no better friend in the industry than Al Michaels. Right. I'll be with him for dinner the next three nights, and mm-hmm. playing golf with him a couple of days. I love Al, so this is not this is not a reflection on. Hey, our package or our broadcast yeah. or this or that. I'm just saying the 425, and honestly, particularly the Fox 425, yeah, both. because of the, the, the 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 NFC package yeah. is weighted more, as you know. Yep. It is. It is the highest rated window.
5: Yep.
4: Now, now, in Sunday Night Football is the number one primetime show, which is great for all of us. Right yeah. for all of us yeah, that are involved in this sport.
3: The Sunday, but it's
4: indisputable in yeah. terms of the quality of the game. If you're talking about it on paper, that's one thing. If you're talking about ratings, yep, the ratings bear out the, the fact. It's not. It's not. It's not up for discussion. The four twenty five window, yep. particularly the four twenty five when it's on Fox, and we're just a fraction behind that outrates the Sunday night rate.
3: Right. Absolutely. No doubt about it. I, I Like I said, I talked to Joe about that. That's the money game is the Sunday 425 game. During so the, Cleveland weekend.
4: gets this schedule yeah, and, and you know, that, hey, they're getting four primetime exposures. You know, they're getting um, a Thursday night game. Right. They're getting two Sunday night games. They're getting a Monday night game. But somewhere in there, they ought to be saying, by the way, the Brownies are going to be at New England in a national window. Yep. And they're going to be at Pittsburgh on Thanksgiving Sunday in a national window. Now, of course, there are contingencies if something fell apart on either side of those matchups, but that's the game plan going in. And I think, uh, you know, we might have ourselves, as, as far as the Browns go, uh, a team that we're going to be covering frequently for many years to come.
1: Old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of Challenge Champion. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Here's the power of the NFL. We've we've spoken for almost an hour, about 50 minutes on April twenty fourth, and it's all about the NFL. <laughs> There's the power of the NFL. So, um it never, ever a day off with with NFL fandom in this country. That's for sure. So, like, like no, I said, I can't let go of it. Yeah. I can't. I love it. Who can't? Yeah, exactly. I do think the draft. I get sick of, like you though. I, I'm glad you said that. The draft. I can't take. I mean, it's that is an event that for me, it, they that is such a spectacle that it becomes almost. um Hard to take. But I, let's not go there. Let's get into the Masters finally. Um, okay. Before we get to the Sunday where Tiger wins and you have that call, I'm curious because I watched Saturday and it was fascinating to hear you play Weatherman because you had to keep giving those updates. Uh, how chaotic is that when you first find out, okay, we're expecting this. Well, you knew they were going to expect the rain, but that they're officially changing the times, what that means for you. Is it? Are you calm? You're a pro. You handle it, or is it something in your head where you are? I don't want to use the word panic. That's a ridiculous word to use. But does it become a chaotic situation when the Sunday gets thrown off the way it got thrown off for you?
4: Well, it's a great question, and, and honestly, it's the first time anybody's asked me about it since since it ended because everybody swept into what the end result was. Right. But yeah, in the in the television universe, it was uh, it was a new experience for all of us. We came on the air live, as you know, at nine o'clock Eastern Time. Six out on the West Coast, uh, so your rating is going to take a hit. Um, again, not that I truly spend too much time concerning myself with that. I
3: think on that one, but, you you I would I, I, that one is one where you probably got to consume yourself a little bit because you know if Tigers in it and it's Sunday at seven o'clock, that numbers man. I, that one I I I'm gonna I, I call how, I'm gonna call a he, little fib.
4: <laughs> how, how much different would it have felt if he if he knocked in his last putt at six fifty seven versus knocking in his last putt at whatever it was two thirty five? I mean, I I can't if the, if you would have told me, I, and you can't even tell me what the reading was for the final round. I don't know. I know it was off a little bit because of the earlier start. Right. I can't feel the difference when I'm performing the broadcast. Right. Whether or not there are. 32 million people watching, 33 million people watching, or 60 million people. I mean, how in the world do I know how many people are watching at that time and how how that's going to feel any different? Here's what
3: I'd say. I can't give you a number, but I do think by 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock Eastern, people are home- to start preparing for the week ahead and you get that fringe <laughs> fan, where is it? 2.30 on a Sunday, people are doing their grocery shopping, they're mowing the lawn, they're going, here, you know, just, mm-hmm. and I, and it's more the casual fan, I think, and then, you know, you get that, Well, do I do think on that Sunday, I'm sure there were a lot of texts and phone calls, are you watching Tiger this, he's going to win, boom, boom, and people get to the set, but I think on a Sunday, there is a difference with the casual fan between 2.30 and 7 o'clock.
4: Oh, listen, it, again, there, I, I'm not debating, had this gone at its scheduled time, remember that weather system did come through, and after he finished and just after he left Butler Cabin, got his green jacket, they they blew the horn. They had the alarm system go off, and they had everybody evacuate the grounds because there was a tornado warning in the area. So we would have had to have lived through that had they not moved up the time. So It was like, turns out it was a great move. Now the system didn't linger, didn't last that long. Um uh, but no, if it had been on schedule, there definitely would have been a bigger audience. I'm just telling you, I wouldn't have felt any different about right, it. Of I wouldn't have known what that's supposed to feel like with an additional 20 million people on board watching. Right. I mean, it was magic what was unfolding in front of us. I think sometimes, and I've I've crossed into this on this call right now, just talking about scheduling and programming and the double header windows and the ratings on that. I've probably gotten deeper into it than I, than I ever do, but I'm really on the uh, artistic side of it. Right. We're there to produce a show. Right. We're there to tell the stories, to document an event. And it's not dictated in my universe by how many people are or are not watching at any given minute. It's the purity of the story. The story is always premium, and that's why this one goes down in the annals of, of well, maybe any sporting event I've been around, as the as one of the, the maybe the greatest story I've ever had a chance to tell, is to see someone who was so on top of the world, and to see his world bottom out in so many different ways, physically, emotionally, family-wise, all of that. We know all of that. Yeah. And then to build it back up to where after all this time, 11 years since a major, 14 years since a green jacket, and win again at age 43, and even better, for us to have a window into his world to see his family waiting for him behind the green and to see the love between the father and his kids and the intensity of the embrace from those children back to their father you know, Tiger has lived a very public life, Jimmy, since he was two years old and appeared on The Mike Douglas Show and then That's Incredible or whatever that show was, the, the John <laughs> Davidson show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, shortly, shortly after that. Mm-hmm. And he, he, his life has never been normal. And as a result, he's been protected. He's put up the shield. I get it. I, I mean, why are we supposed to see 100% of his life? And we, we think that sometimes our sports stars are put on this planet for one purpose, to entertain us and to go win and make us happy. Then we can shut the TV off and go back to our world. But, you know, there's like, what, Tiger plays 20 events a year, and it's 80 rounds, 80 rounds times five hours. So we get 400 hours a year where Tiger's playing golf in front of a viewing audience. That adds up to what? 12, 14 days total out of the year, if you went back to back to back to back. What about the other 353 days of his year? Are we supposed to have a look at that full time? I mean, I didn't know what it looked like. I didn't know if there was something real there, the rebuilding of a family, until I saw what I saw behind the green. Mm -hmm. It was beautiful to watch. As someone who cares nothing more in this world, and I know you're the same, and virtually everybody's listening to this it feels the same way family is everything and to see that that family had a a, a closeness that was real it, it was authentic that the love there's there's no question that it was back and forth between the two of them it was special yeah it's special because we just don't see the human side of tiger uh never well, have we seen something quite like that
3: it's funny you brought that up um because i i, I just thought of this in my head it was not a planned out thing but and you said you don't see what goes on on twitter there i i saw a lot of stuff on twitter that day uh a lot of people thought the media in the post game conference and then i guess in your one-on-one that you guys are trying to make tiger cry which i don't think tiger would ever cry but um as an interviewer is is that ever in the back of your head? Like, you know, if we get a tear (laughs) here, it would be great.
4: Oh, I want to bring him into the cabin so I can make him cry. Yeah. No, I mean, you're living in the moment. You're feeling the pulse of the event. Uh, I know that most everyone I talked to who watched that said they were choked up. I actually had a line uh, after the last putt was whole. Uh, We went silent for a while.
3: Two and a half minutes.
4: And, uh, You know, there, there was a back and forth I had with Nick and, and I, and again, I'm going to paraphrase here, but I said something about, uh, I, have I, never thought,
3: yeah, hmm? I have the quote. Yeah. Go ahead. I
4: have the quote. I go ahead. Okay. I, I, well, I'll see if I can get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I never thought we would live to see anything that could rival the hug with his father in 97, but we just did. And then Nick said that was the greatest, celebration in golf history there'll never be another one like that one Jim Nance and then um, then I said something along the lines of um, that moment with his kids or that hug with his children mm-hmm. if if uh, that didn't bring
3: you're not human to your yeah.
4: eye and you're a parent yeah. you're not human right am I close
3: I think it was. I think the way I wrote it: that you're not human if you don't have. If that doesn't bring a tear to your eye, you were very. You yep. got it basically. Yeah. Yep. Now, would you? Will you hang up on me if I told you I didn't have a tear in my eye? Am I a monster? <laughs> Am I a monster? Am I a monster? You know. Um, but you're. <laughs> listen, you probably would admit
4: that you don't watch a lot of golf. You know, you watch it on occasion, right? Am I right about
3: that? Well, you know what? My take was this, and I don't know. I sort of felt like it was he's hugging his son. Anyone would think that's a great moment. It shouldn't be anything other than a great moment. But there is that part of me. Maybe it's like the New York cynical, you know, guy in me. Do you get credit for hugging your son? I mean, what is he supposed to do? push him out of the way
4: well no and, i think it's I mean? deeper than that you gotta yeah, have the context it it in there jimmy I know. That's, that's but i would hope any storytelling. i agree you gotta realize this guy torched a lot of his life
3: yes and those kids you know ran the
4: risk of never get having his kids know him or right. like understanding who he is or the guy that you might be reading about one day if you go to your computer that's not who i am right so you know he had to I, I'm, I'm i'm connecting some dots here i'm taking some liberties but I think it. I think I'm pretty close in saying that there was nothing this that, that Tiger wanted more than to have that relationship with his kids solid. And somehow I do believe he tied all that together. That he wanted to win in front of them. That he wanted his kids to see their father what he used to be mm. when he was on top and he was making good decisions. And you know, I think I think it just he's invested a lot of time and in, in letting these kids know uh, how much he cares about them. And, and again, the context, you've got to leave it in there. I understand. Because th- that is the story, is how, how far he had, how high he had risen to how far he had sunk in many ways, including physically. And then to come back and win again, remember, Charlie had never, his son had never seen his father win a golf tournament. Right, Here's I know. one for you. Yeah, Tiger came back into the cabin uh, about 90 minutes after the live show. We had the re-air. We called it the encore presentation. We had about 30 minutes of uh, live television to fill out that show to get to 6.58.27. That's the exact off-air time to get the network back on track for 7 o'clock airing great up of 60 minutes. Okay. So we had to hit an exact time. Tiger was gracious enough to come back down to the cabin. When he came back down, we were in the middle of a segment that you couldn't just dump out of. Right. He was kind enough to say, Oh, I'll, I'll wait. And he waited around for 10 minutes or so. I happened to have a little chat with uh, Erica, his girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And, uh, she said to me that Charlie, when he came back from the Christmas holiday, to school, his fourth grade teacher had everyone in the class write down a New Year's resolution and had to present it to the class. And Charlie stood up before his class and said, his New Year's resolution is this year. I'm going to be there in person to see my father win a golf tournament for the first time. That was a pretty good That's story. a cool story. That's a very and, cool story. You know, no we, doubt. We had that in that re-air broadcast, and yeah. I asked Tiger about it, and listen, I'm never... There's, there's Why would I want to try to get someone to cry? <laughs> this is the craziness about Twitter. Right. They get caught up on certain things. You know, Sue was it that told me this? Maybe it was Tracy. During the NCAA tournament, there was an official that had a funny gate or something in one of our games. And apparently Twitter picked up on it and it might have been one of the Final Four games.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: And it was trending or it was like the most talked about thing and you know I was sitting there with Grant and Bill Raftery our guys in the truck and not a one of us noticed Right. Mm -hmm. so like out of pure boredom somebody got something started that's a complete non-factor non-story not even interesting and people piled in and weighed in on it at least best I can tell because I can promise you I didn't see Uh,
3: it FYI that happens daily on Twitter
4: yeah so (laughs) like that's why it's not even worth addressing. Yeah. Like tell- somebody says, oh, Nance is trying to get him to cry. Right. Why would I want to do that? Right. I was trying to live in the moment. You right.
3: know, tell me about the return to glory. Um, was it right off the top of your you head? The movie, the coming out of the movie, <laughs> the, the, uh, <laughs> when do you, is it right off the top of your head? Are you working on it a little bit earlier in the day? Is it thought of even before the masters? Like if this guy wins, this is, you know,
4: No, 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 yeah. no, 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 Again,
3: Right, right off full the old t-
4: disclosure. Right off the Tiger 1 in 1997. Right. Do you remember what I said in 97 when Tiger I
3: had it uh I watched it too this morning. Um I didn't write it down though. It was
4: Well, the... in, in in the Go golf ahead. world. Yeah, yeah. You know, a lot of people would know that one, but it's yeah. okay. Yeah. A win for the ages. Oh, right, right. Okay? Of course, right off. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So not that that's any great shakes. I'm not patting myself on the back on that, but I'm just going to tell you a story about that. Go ahead. That that year, uh, he had a nine-shot lead going into Sunday's final round. We sign off the air Saturday night, nine-shot lead. He's going the next day, he's going to win to become the youngest Masters champion. Right. He's going to have the largest margin of victory. He's going to set the 72-hole scoring record. In his achievement is going to have social significance far beyond the parameters of the sport. Yep. This is a massive international news story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, if you were sent down by Sports Illustrated to Augusta, they paid for your week and watched you and paid for your meals and the whole thing, and you were down there to write the lead column for the magazine, right. and on Saturday night you had in your hands Tiger Woods has a nine-shot lead, would you give it a thought Saturday night about what your lead might be the next day? Or would you just go out, have a couple of glasses of wine? I'm not saying that you do. Yeah, I yeah, do. Yeah. But um, would, you, yeah. would you think it through? would you not be realizing the historical
3: significance of this well, Oh, you ab- want to
4: be on top of your game? Yeah, you'd absolutely... You better believe yeah. you
3: would be. Yeah, of course. So,
4: like, sometimes people say, oh, come on, the win for the ages, you pre-planned that one.
3: Damn right I did. <laughs> yeah, but th- I don't think... I'm doing, my,
4: ch- uh, but doing I would- my job. But I don't, I don't think it should uh, be
3: perceived as a negative... So- well, I—I I mean, that's not a. But if, if you—that's yep. not a negative to to plan no, it out no. or no, think about it ahead of time. No, but a people
4: are really curious about at what point. You know, you even asked me. Did you yeah. have that coming into Augusta? Absolutely not. Well, I, think, I didn't even have it coming into the day. I was going to say uh, I, I didn't think yeah. you had it
3: coming into Augusta. I thought you may have started yeah. having it maybe Saturday night, su- Sunday morning. No,
4: no, no, no. Right. He was whatever he was, two or three shots out of the lead, and yeah. no, I I've done enough events, and game-ending situations where you definitely know, unless you've got a nine-shot lead on Saturday night, the best thing you can do is just let the moment arrive and feel it. Right. Golf is a massive feel sport, more than the helter-skelter up and down the floor pacing of a basketball game where you're pushing your voice or play, replay, play, cadence and, and tempo of a football game. Golf is a feel sport. Your voice better, better kind of flow with it. Right. You know you've got to sound like you're on the course, and it's not contrived. You've just whatever. It's 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 in your blood, and you can hear it, uh, or you can't hear it. But when when Tiger was in the 18th fairway, here's your answer. He he was out of position off the tee. He drove it right, and he had some limbs to contend with, and he needed just to make a bogey to win.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: So he was trying to figure out how to shape his shot, and he's standing there with Joel LaCava, who's a, a great pal of mine, and his caddy, and and at that one juncture, right about that time, Steve Milton, our director, cut to a shot of the family behind the green. Well, there was his mother, Cultita. I hadn't seen her in a long time. Mm-hmm. She'd been out of public view for a long time. And there were the two kids, and there was Erica's girlfriend. As soon as I saw them, I thought, oh, boy, I didn't know they were going to be waiting for him. Now I know what's on the way. Ah, uh, okay. And the first thing I did is I dialed it up out of my head that in 06, when he won the Open Championship at, at Hoy Lake, it was his first win since his dad had died two months earlier, in May of 06. And I can remember how... Messy that situation was as Tiger cried and Steve Williams, his caddy at the time, in his arms. And I made some proclamation when I saw the family that, well, if you saw 06, and again, I haven't seen the tape, so maybe I'm connecting some dots here. This is what it felt like I said. right If you saw 06, this is going to be a scene that's probably going to be even more emotional than that. And when I saw the family, was waiting for them, uh, I thought of the word glory. It just it just jumped in my head. Right. I thought of glory as a reborn champion coming all the way back when a lot of people said it would never happen again. And I thought of glory as a remade man. It was something spiritual about it. I don't want to get you know off on some you. tangent here, but yeah, I yeah. thought it had some weight about that moment in time in that man's life. And I thought I've got to work in the word glory. So, but there are no commercial breaks, Jimmy. So play it out. They walk up the Hill to the green. uh, And he still had to play his third shot from short of the green. um, But it was awesome. And, and, and Nick and I both tried to be respectful of the scene, lay out as much as we could. And he had a putt, for par, that I thought he would make from about 12 feet away, I'd have to go back and hear what I said there. I don't know exactly, but um, I thought he was going to make it, and it slipped by the hole, which was probably the best thing that ever happened. Because had he hold it, then the yeah. other two guys playing with him, uh, Finau and Molinari, would have had no chance making putts that they needed to finish in the top five. So anyway, he, he, he steps up to the last one. And I know I, I, I made a remark about you know, this is a moment that a lot of people never thought we'd see again, right. Um, the return to glory and that was it. And then I knew what I had to do at that point, And that was to get out of the way. And, 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 and that's back to what we discussed earlier, Nick and I just laid out for a couple of minutes and, we weren't looking to say anything. We could only ruin it. We could only sully one of the great sports celebrations you'd ever see.
3: Greatest sporting event you've ever covered?
4: You know, it's a hard one to say. You know, I've, I've been asked that, and I got, I, you know, I, Ben from the Washington Post asked me, and I said probably is, and I think I'm going to feel the same way about it 10 years from now. I don't know what could change it. Uh, a lot of people, and I'm not talking just golf here, uh, sure, it's a thrill having Chris Jenkins hit a buzzer beater, uh, to be able to call a buzzer beater when Villanova won a championship, or even go back to Chris Webber's ill-fated timeout. Right. And I, that, wasn't necess- that was a bad feeling seeing a game in that way 26 years ago. But it had a lot of swings at the plate. The bottom line is, Jimmy, it gets down to the quality of the
0: story. Right.
4: And when you have the story that is at that level, and then you have a scene that rises to the moment, a chant, you know, of just a unbridled joy, um, the freeing of, you know, years of doubt. Uh, it's pretty rich. I, I put it ahead of Nicholas in '86, which I also broadcast. Only because Jack in '86, when he walked off the 18th green, he didn't know he had won. Right, there were still eight players. There's still eight players on the golf course. Right, and a couple had to bogey the last hole for Jack to win. So we didn't get to have that moment. Anything close to what we saw in Augusta a couple yeah. of weeks ago. So, so he, I'd like here's to what you. The, the he, he, best is still to come, Jimmy. But, here, right what, now, here I would it take is. The leader in the club out. Here
3: it is. Here's what you need. We're going to wrap it up. Right here's what you need. You need that 2020 Super Bowl. Browns win it. On an 80, on an hey, eighty yard eighty yard Baker Mayfield to OG, Odell Beckham pass at the buzzer. That's what you need. Or the... Well, you, you've taken it to uh, <laughs> a new level. Kudos to you. But I was on
4: I was on last week with some buddies of mine in Cleveland, and I said that.
3: Oh really? I okay. said
4: that it's going to take something like yeah. the Browns, because again, the story, Jimmy, where they've been, right. how far they've come back from, and then how does it happen? Right. So right, you need yep. a good
3: moment and a good you need a good game there too. Can't just be a clunker.
4: I just need a touchdown longer than two yards. <laughs> exactly.
3: Uh, last question. <laughs> this is it right here, and then I'm going to say goodbye to you because we've talked about all this, and I had a bunch of questions, but we talked about all the other stuff, which was great. So, but this is one question has nothing to do with anything that I want to know. What what's one event you have never called that you would like to call?
4: There isn't one because it's there's part of that I have to be qualified to do it. So I don't want to go do an event that I couldn't sound uh, knowledgeable. Gotcha. So, so take the World Series, okay? I sit back and marvel every year at what a great job Joe does. Right. And, I, of course, I've been around a long time. I can remember Vin doing it. And Al Michaels, people remember what an incredible baseball announcer Al was yes. when he called the World yep. Series games back in the 80s, back in those days. Uh, but I couldn't do it. Now, do I not love baseball? Yeah, I mean, I do, but I have no experience at it. So for me to say, I want to do the World Series one day, are you kidding me? I, I don't you. deserve that chance. Fair, fair so, enough. Th- there's not one. The, right. the one event that could top it all and could top even your Browns' 2020 Super Bowl yeah. <laughs> would be when my three-year-old son, Jameson, <laughs> wins the Masters. There you go. Okay, in 2000 and, let's call it, 41. <laughs> And he comes in to get his green jacket, and uh, I wrote about this once in Golf Digest, and I look at him, and I say, hello, son, and goodbye, friends. That's <laughs> it.
3: That's great. Appreciate it. That's a great way to end it. I thank you so much for the time, and... Uh Finally, enjoy some time off here after the uh, busy few weeks. Appreciate you coming on, and uh, this was a lot of fun, and got to get you back on uh, when the NFL season is going on for sure.
4: I would love to, Jimmy, and it sounds like you had a lot of questions, didn't get asked. So <laughs> That's if, good. if there is a movement for it, <laughs> we call this the sequel, yes. the return to glory. Okay,
3: <laughs> Perfect. Thank you, Jim Nance. Thank Appreciate you, it. Uh-huh. I had a ball. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right. My thanks to Jim Nance. Appreciate the time there. Good stuff. Uh, He's had a wild 2019. Hopefully, you guys enjoyed it. We'll see you next week right here on the Sports Illustrated Media Podcast.
4: This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. (sighs)